What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast as we are here to break down UFC 294 goes down on Saturday over in Abu Dhabi. Early start time here in the United States. If you're like me and Pete living on the East Coast, lock is 10 a.m. East Coast time, pay-per-view 2 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, maybe if you're out on the West Coast, you got to get up bright and early. Make sure your lines are ready to rock and roll. 7 a.m. Eastern time, Pacific time for those prelims, which I actually uh, saw the other day. It looks like ESPN is actually going to be streaming the prelims on their YouTube channel as well. So uh, maybe I would imagine, I would imagine that majority of people who are checking this out, Pete, probably have an ESPN Plus subscription, but uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Of course, as always, appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, a great way to show your support for the show. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like, subscribe to the channel, hit that notification bell so you know when we are live here on the channel. I guess I should probably tell Pete we got to do the show Friday of next week. Pete, you're finding that out now. We got to do the show on Friday next week because Thursday I'll be up in Buffalo uh, for, for the Bucks game there. Um, of course, we got our DraftKings contest that is live there. Of course, we got our Discord channel. But uh, of course, we're here to talk everything going on with the UFC. Of course, last week, Pete, we come in off a card where Edson Barboza gets 10 8 in the first round. Then goes on to win four straight rounds to go out there. You had to have Edson Barboza in your lineups. And, uh, man, it's uh, Edson Barboza, man. He just keeps doing this thing. Yeah, he does. And let me tell you, the underdogs just keep on rolling in the main events. I mean, my goodness. It's been like, what, six six straight, seven straight, something crazy like that. And uh, that's why I always say prioritize main event, co-main event, underdogs. Um, but I just think, like, you know, Edson Barboza is a tough test to begin with. And the range – is something we talked about where in boxing range Sadiq Youssef will have success. It's on the outside with the long range attacks, utilizing the kicks, um, you know, that Edson Barboza has to really fluster Sadiq Youssef and having questionable head kick defense to begin with as evidence in the Arnold Allen fight, Sadiq Youssef got hit with some shots too, got hit with a, you know, another head kick and, and, and was on wobbly legs and, uh, I wasn't able to watch the fight live, but I, I watched it after the fact, just the highlights. And, uh, man, good for Edson Barboza, American top team on a roll. Uh, you know, it's kind of just like everything I've been saying about American top team. Very, very hard gym to fade at the moment. I mean, they, they just have so many things going well for them uh, between coaching staff and training partners and momentum within the octagon. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to put that card behind us it was a it was a fine card for sure but uh th this is the card that we've been looking forward to you know and with all the moving parts it, it makes this card you know even more so exciting yeah my cash score last week was not very good the fact of uh, i had three losing fighters in my cash score uh contest uh you know it's uh Simon Petrosky who didn't score one point at all and uh Adrian Yanez only got eight points but uh, congratulations to record 62 taking down the fight HQ contest last week uh their lineup was Barboza uh, Michelle Pajaya which I was definitely uh was wrong about that one there uh Christian Rodriguez we were both off on, on that one there getting 90 yep. points uh Darren Elkins which was the guy that I talked about I thought that was one of the underdogs potentially target last week. Of course, Terrence McKinney just went out there and uh, just destroyed Brim Rott. And uh, Dixon also was in their lineup there. Congratulations there to record 62 taking out the contest. Of course, as I mentioned, we got the contest already live up there. Uh, it's in the show notes. If you had me watch us live here on YouTube, if you're watching us live, hey, we appreciate you tuning in here on a Thursday afternoon. We wanted to get this show out a little bit earlier since it is an afternoon card or early morning card here. But Pete, as we start to look ahead to UFC 294 and talk about game theory and developing our DFS lineups, the thing that really stuck out to me when I was putting my spreadsheet together 
And of course, as we do this show, FanDuel salaries are not out. To me, it's about the the amount of fighters that we have over nine thousand, and the amount of fighters that we have. I mean, I, I put the number to seventy three and below, but I think you could literally probably say seventy one and below. That to me is is kind of as, as you're developing your lineups. That to me is where kind of the thought the thought process starts. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a week to have you know, plenty of good 9,000 options. And, you know, you have a wide array of options from Makayev all the way down to Nathaniel Wood. You can make an argument for any anybody within that range. There are some odds on this fight card that I'm just not in agreement with. So when I'm not in agreement with how the odds are, um, are constructed, it tends to make me go towards the value side, which is the underdogs that we'll get to in some of the fights. But um, I, I would definitely say that the majority of people are going to look to smash the 9,000 options and, you know, you know, paying high and low. So somewhat of a stars and scrubs approach. If you are looking at the slate from a value standpoint, you definitely hope that all the bottom end options just completely bust. Because <laughs> if you avoid these 9,000 options, you will be on the outside looking in, um, you know, clearly – Islam Mahachev and Alexander Volkanovsky are going to be the chalk of the week because it is the five-round bout, and they aren't priced heavily at all. Mahachev is sitting there at 8700 whereas Volkanovsky is at 7500 So, I mean, you have a $900 difference from Mahachev all the way up top to uh, Mohamed Makayev. Normally, the main event favorites are some of the highest-priced options on the slate, not this, not this week. So uh, I'm definitely going to be – you know, looking at the mid range, because I feel like a lot of people are going to be constructing it with a stars and scrub approach. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested in some of these high price options. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of some of these high price options, and like I would even throw Chimaev in, in that mix at a nine hundred. Is mm-hmm. to me, it's going to be about where does ownership go. That that's going to play a really big key role of of who in that a nine up range just is not getting ownership. I would, I would imagine a lot of those. And, and look, I'm with you. I think obviously the main event there's going to be a lot of ownership there. And for people looking to save salary, I would imagine Volkanovski is going to be the key. You know, we'll talk about this fight in a second. You know, the stepping up on eleven days notice he was 181 pounds when he took this fight something to kind of think about there uh, you know but like look I, I look at it's like who is going to be that 6,000 like I just feel like and, and Pete maybe I'm wrong I feel like one of these six times fighters is going to end up optimal. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to win the fight, but they're just going to score enough points. I mean, you, you've talked about this game theory, I mean, for the last year or so, of sitting there going, yeah. sometimes you can find that 6,000 option that can go 15 minutes, get you 40, maybe 50 points. And all of a sudden, now, I mean, when I was hand building a lineup earlier, because I did put one, you know, I will say this right now, Tim Elliott will be in my cash score this week. And maybe I'm going to look absolutely stupid by doing that. But I'm just thinking that fight's going to go 15 minutes. And you talk about the betting salaries this week and the DFS salaries not really uh, in agreement with. That is one of the fights I look at and go, it's way too wide. Yeah, I mean, there's several fights that I can't wait to get to. Um, it's just like what Muhammad Makayev has been doing. When he burst onto the scene, he looked absolutely untouchable. And then he's kind of gotten away from his takedowns, at least the volume attempts that he had in the past. I mean, like, you know, in his first fight against Cody Durden, you know, big flying knee leads to a guillotine. uh, Quick fight ends in 58 seconds. 
against Charles Johnson. This is the the volume I'm talking about. He attempted 26 takedowns against Charles Johnson. He landed 12 of them. Um, he followed it up with six of seven takedowns against Malcolm Gordon and four of eight against uh, Jeff Elfilio. So, like, the volume is still great, but it's not what it was. Um, I, I feel like his salary is reflective for his Charles Johnson performance, not necessarily the guy that's kind of been squeaking out decisions. Well, almost decisions, um, like just about to go to the judges' scorecard, and then he picks up a third-round victory over Malcolm Gordon in you know four minutes and twenty-six seconds into the third round. Same thing against Rafael Filio, four minutes and thirty-two seconds into the third round. If those go 15 minutes, who knows? Maybe the fight's a lot closer than what we perceive it to be. I actually think that he's kind of been just like just getting by on some of these rounds. Um, but, I mean, th- this ceiling is ridiculous for this guy. So it- it's hard to say. Tim-, Tim Elliott creates a ton of scrambles and is a hell of a wrestler, um, but not the best jiu-jitsu practitioner. So uh, perhaps it's it's not going to take a lot of takedowns from Muhammad Makai. We'll have to see. Yeah, the question ultimately is going to be is, is there going to be a, a 9,000 option that goes in and gets upset this week, finding those right upsets? And, of course, as always, myself and Pete, we appreciate the questions that are coming in. Of course, if it's your first time watching us, what we're going to do is we're going to break down all the fights, then we'll get into your listener questions. So you can fire those away. Also, I'll talk about some prize picks. I know one of the commenters last week wanted me to mention kind of the prize picks towards the end of the show. I'll still mention that during the fight, but I'll give a little bit of a recap uh, when we get towards the end of the show. Pete, let's get right into the main event. It is the rematch that came together on 11 days' notice. Alexander Volkanovsky replacing Charles Oliveira, taking on Islam Mahachev. Of course, these guys fought back in February. And, of course, uh, Islam, once again, like, no question, he's betting favorite here. Minus 240, plus 220 for Volkanovsky for Mahachev. Uh, he's 8,700 on DK, 7,500 over there uh, for Alexander Volkanovsky. And, uh, you know, this, to me, one of the hard things about breaking down this fight, Pete, and I, I don't know if you kind of have the same theory is it's just this whole 11 day notice for Volkanovsky yeah. stepping in, you know, he, he's, he, you know, has to cut from 181 to 155 pounds. Of course, being Abu Dhabi, they get a little bit of extra time to uh, recover here. But that to me is like, you know, we always hear the cliche in the fight game. The guy who lost in the first matchup has the advantage going in the second matchup. I just don't know if that cliche fits for this matchup. Yeah, it's not ideal circumstances, you know, for Alexander Volkanovsky, clearly. I mean, he's been dealing with some lingering injuries, um, one of them being an arm issue, and was going to take the rest of the, the year off and was, was basically going to come back at the beginning of next year. Um, for whatever reason, uh, he answered this call because I don't think that he could live with himself if he declined a rematch against the guy who beat him. So he's very hungry to... Uh, avenge the loss for sure. But I do think that like Islam Mahachev is clearly, you know, top three pound for pound fighters in the world right now. Uh, what he can do to you, uh, he can strike well enough. And then his wrestling is just so overpowering and his control time is just so great that he can win and bank rounds. I still think that he's susceptible getting finished the later the fight goes, no matter what. Um, but against Alexander Volkanovsky, who outside of his camp, you don't know how much he's been in the gym. You don't know how much he's been, you know, training hard. Like staying, staying fit is fine, but like being in fight camp is completely different. And clearly, Volkanovski hasn't been in fight camp. Um, that doesn't mean he can't go out there and knock out Islam Mahachev in rounds one, two, or three. Uh, you know, especially if Mahachev has a terrible cut or you know if he exerts too much energy early on. 
I did like what I saw from Alexander Volkanovsky in the first one. I really did because I, I do think in a full camp that he that he beats Islam Mahachev. I, I really do in a rematch with a full camp. I, I think that he can make the adjustments, spend the time with Craig Jones as needed. Um, you know, they, they've been mixing in some training with Bang Tao as well, like some of the instructors, uh, the Hardwick brothers. So, like, I, I don't know if this is the situation for him to win, though, because Volkanovsky is going to be significantly undersized. And he's cutting a tremendous amount of weight, short notice, arm injuries. I think there's some things that Mahachev can do to to really stifle the offense of Volkanovsky, and it leads to utilizing his kicks from the outside. Uh, the the front kicks were fine. The round kicks, I think, are automatic. Anytime that he wants to stay at that range, Islam Mahachev can throw those round kicks. And I actually feel like Volkanovsky is somewhat susceptible to head kicks. He's somewhat susceptible to head kicks and knees up the middle. And that's something if I'm a part of Islam Mahachev's camp, I'm thinking about a shorter guy. How do we, you know, just hit him on the chin with something? It's going to be a knee or it's going to be a kick. Um, And then when he's thinking about that, about the striking, that's when we incorporate our grappling. So um, I really want Volkanovsky to win. I'm going to be rooting like hell for Volkanovsky to win. But I have this like weird feeling that Mahachev kind of puts a stamp on this fight. Maybe he hurts Volkanovski on the feet with like a knee or an uppercut to the shorter man. Um, and then it leads to a submission finish. But yeah, I think that Makhachev at 8,700 is one of the, one of the best values. Um, and Volkanovski is clearly one of the best underdogs, but definitely not in an ideal circumstance to uh, go against the number one powerful, well, number one or number two, arguably pound for pound fighters in the world and Islam Makhachev. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, as you're talking there, I mean, that that to me is also kind of goes to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. We we're talking about game theory of looking at ownership and seeing where it is. Could we potentially get a little bit of a value on Islam? Just because I, I do think that a lot of people are going to look at Volkanovski as saving salaries. Of course, if you uh, want to check out our friends over at Stochastic, they do have an offer for the Fight HQ listeners that is in the show notes. If you want to check that out. Uh, when we look over at prize picks, so uh, we got uh, four props on Islam, 55 and a half significant strikes. 22 and a half fight time minutes, three takedowns, and a fantasy score of 105 and a half. The two Pete that stick out to me is the fight time and the takedown. I would say uh, takedown would be the, the preferred prop I would want to go in this matchup. I would want to go more than three takedowns. I, I, I Based on kind of your breakdown, I would sense that you maybe are sensing less than 22 and a half fight time minutes, even though yeah. I think I'm kind of in the thought. I, I, I don't know. I just think it goes 25 minutes again. It's hard for a guy on short notice to go 25 minutes um, if he's going to get put in bad positions. Like, I mean, like, say what you want. Volkanovsky was in bad spots, and he was in threatening situations. Like, like Islam had his back, and he did fine with the with the defense for sure. I would just love a complete another complete camp with Craig Jones and those guys. Um, you know, I, I think that that could really work wonders. But on 11 days' notice, it's not like he's in a favorable matchup stylistically. So... Um, I think of those prize picks that you mentioned, I would probably say the fantasy score would be my favorite. I, I think that he's going to get well over that. Mm-hmm. I, I just have a, a feeling that Islam's going to do it, even though I'm clearly going to be rooting for Alexander Volkanovsky here to, uh, to pull off the upset and become the uh, lightweight champion of the world. If you're looking to play over our prize picks, they do have a free square on Steph Curry for Tuesday for the uh, NBA regular season Oprah of half point. Can you believe that? Can you believe Chris Paul's on that team? 
That's it's ridiculous. It, like, I, I will say this as someone who loves basketball, I yeah. am fascinated to see how that works in terms of yeah. how they kind of incorporate, you know, the guards with the forwards, you know, with the, you know, Draymond's got the injury. It's going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. But yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting one, and, and see uh, when they get in crunch time, how how do they how do they run that lineup? We just need to see CP three just dish the ball. That's it. Just drive, dish, kick it out, kick it out. Just use those assist skills, and um, you're not going to be relied upon offensively too much. And if you do, just drive to the basket. If you get you know somebody steps up to you, kick it out because you're the Warriors are going to be disgusting. I, um, it, like they're going to be really really dangerous. I think he's a great insurance policy for Golden State. That's, that's the way, yeah. you know, in, in case Steph or, or, or Clay go yeah. down at some point, they've got a little bit of insurance policy. Of course, he's had also his injury situation. But, yeah, man, I love basketball, so I'm looking forward to it. Let's move over to our co-main event. We got uh, Hamzat Shamai, of course, initially supposed to take on Paulo Casa. Now takes on Kamar Usman. Usman moving up to the 185-pound division. He's a plus 240 betting underdog. Hamzat Shamai minus 300. Over on DraftKings, Shamai is 8,900. 8, Usman is 7,300. Of course, yesterday, Pete, the Twitter world or the X world was all kind of if whether Usman maybe got injured during the open workout. Yeah. Justin Gaethje saying no. Um, you know, and, and I'll say this, Pete, and we all know your, your love for Chemayev. And to me, in the fight game, someone like Chemayev, it's about taking the right fights at the right time. And mm-hmm. that's why I look at this fight. I just think, you, you know, look, Kamar Usman, I mean, he hasn't fought a three-round fight in years. But mm. he's also, I mean, look, you know, look, you know, I, I don't want anybody in the Usman camp to take this the wrong way. He's on the back nine of his career. He's 36 yeah. years old, moving up in weight. So to me, that's why I look at Hamza. I was like, this is the perfect fight at the right time. Yeah, this game's about timing. And um, mm. I, I think that Hamza Shamayev couldn't have timed it better. I mean, a couple of years ago, the guy who fought Gilbert Burns, does he beat Kamar Usman? I don't know. I, I don't know if I feel the same about the the guy right now in 2023 the the guy that had to take a hard lesson in that Gilbert Burns fight his coach was screaming at him because he went out there and he fought with his ego and he didn't fight with his IQ or his best skill set which is his grappling and his wrestling he incorporated it a few times but the danger of Gilbert Burns's submission skills is what kind of led him to keep it on the feet and next thing you know you, you stay on the feet with Gilbert Burns he's really really developed into a dangerous striker has phenomenal power. Even he rocked Kamar Usman before he got finished. Um, I I agree with you that timing's everything, and I do think that uh, you know I'm going to be back in my boy Hamza Shemaev here. And as far as the main event and co-main event underdogs, you're talking about you know some of the best pound for pound fighters on the planet. So why would you not take shots at Alexander Volkanovsky price at 7,500? Why would you not take shots at Kamar Usman at 7,300? You don't know how Chemayev is really going to handle this massive step up in competition against one of the best pound for pound and one of the best uh, best welterweights ever. So, like, you know, this is at middleweight, and I like Chemayev a lot better at middleweight than I did at welterweight. Um, but you just don't know. And uh, again, not an ideal circumstance for Kamar Usman to to step up and face the big bad wolf and Hamzat Chemayev on short notice with basically no camp despite being in solid shape and being, you know, living the lifestyle as I'm sure Alexander Volkanovsky's been living the lifestyle. If you're a true martial artist and a true professional, you're training year-round, you're not waiting for fight camps, but it's different when you have to be in fight shape. 
going up against a stylistic nightmare in both of their, you know, in both of their matchups. So Usman's phenomenal value at 7,300 in a three round fight. You could see Usman just bring back that ridiculous volume and pace that broke so many opponents throughout his, his, uh, uh, throughout his reign and throughout his come up in the division. But I, I do think that Chamayev finishes Kamar Usman. That, that's my hot take is I, I don't know if it's really that hot, but I, I think that Chamayev, my daughter's screaming in the background. Uh, I, I think Chamayev, uh, you hear, yeah, she's, she's having a good old time. She's probably eating lunch right now with my mom. Uh, I think Chamayev lands some dangerous strikes on the feet and uh, we've already seen Usman get rocked numerous times. So I, I think that Chamayev finishes Usman. Um, and if he doesn't, I, I think the the strength of Chamayev is clearly going to be on display. Um, I'm just excited. It's a hell of a fight, but I'm picking Chamayev at 8,900. He's been an absolute DFS monster. And uh, 124, 121, 126, 117, 100, 103. Goodness gracious. That's just ridiculous, ridiculous uh, scoring for, for Chamayev priced at 8,900. So I'll be backing him. So a little bit of insight of this one. You mentioned about Gilbert Burns. When uh, yep. Usman got the call, he was at Killcliffe FC with Gilbert Burns uh, last week when uh, he got the call for, for this matchup. And, you know, as I look over at price picks, you know, this is one of those ones that I don't know. It, the pure gut feeling here. I think this this hits the third round. Just a pure gut feeling on my part. But like hearing you talk to me, it says you over Prize Picks. We got three props on Hamzat Jamai. Significant strikes forty seven and a half. Fight time ten. Fantasy score ninety eight and a half. I gotta say that you're thinking that ninety half ninety eight and a half is the prop to go over Prize Picks and going more than that. Yeah, I think so. Um, he hasn't you know, had less than that to this point, but clearly this is the toughest opponent he's had. So, um, will, you know, will he rise to the occasion or, or will the step up in competition really halter his output and halter his, uh, you know, his success in the cage? We'll have to see, but I'm going to back my boy. Um, I planted the flag on Chemayev years ago. Same thing with Tom Aspinall and, uh, Romanov was a part of that bunch, but, um, you know, two for three ain't bad. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, cardio Romanoff are exactly uh, best buds. Let's just say that. Yeah, I mean, he looked better in his past fight, I think, right? Didn't he come yeah. back and look pretty methodical and, and, and refined? But yeah, I definitely think the upside for Aspinall and um, upside for Aspinall and Chemayev is clearly uh, the highest of anybody I planted my flag on. Well, it was reported last week that the winner of this matchup is going to get Sean Strickland as long as they're healthy. Uh, you know, and of course, uh, Izzy uh, was on the Rock podcast last week talking about how he's going to take some time off. We'll see how long he's on the sidelines. And uh, I feel like uh, we're probably talking about Hamza Shmaev as a UFC middleweight champion six months from now. That That's just my, my take on it. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, though, how these guys cross-train. And then, you know, like... I've seen videos of Strickland talking to Chamayev and saying, Chamayev, chill out, dude. You're beating everybody up. You're better than everybody. Like, did you see your role? A little did bit. you see who uh, Strickland has done some sparring with? Who? Max Crosby of the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh God. Crosby did a lot. He says, yeah, we beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's unreal. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Sean Strickland would, uh, he has no problem going up against anybody there. Uh, let's move over to the next matchup uh, and a key matchup in the 205 pound division. Of course, uh, both these guys will be right there, potentially in line. Of course, one side more than the other. You got Magma and Kalive taking on Johnny Walker. And Kalive is a minus 350 betting favorite. Uh, plus 275 for Johnny Walker uh, for, on DK. Ankalive 9,100. Walker 7,100. And, 
you know, people, when you look at some of these, you know, these 7,000 options, to me, like, I, I put, like, Johnny Walker and the, and the next fight we're going to talk about with Warley Alves, I put them both kind of the same situation. They're probably live for about three minutes, but if it gets past that, you're not going to feel very good. Uh, I, I kind of push back on that, and the reason I'll push back on that is just because, like, Johnny Walker is somebody who I've constantly over – no, I, I've underestimated. And he's on a three-fight win streak. I mean, he beat Ian Kutalaba, Paul Craig, and Anthony Smith. And Paul Craig and Ian Kutalaba was, you know, in the first round. We, we know he's dangerous in the first round. But, like, he went the distance with Anthony Smith. He went the distance 25 minutes with Tiago Santos in a very, very lackluster fight. Uh, Nikita Krilov went the distance 15 minutes. So, like, we're starting to see a little bit more patient and refined Johnny Walker. Um, and, like, Ankalaev is a guy who's – in my opinion, somewhat boring and very patient. Um, so he's he's not going to risk too much because he's worried about you know losing his spot in the ranking or um, you know making a mistake and getting finished, kind of like how he did in his debut against Paul Craig. Still scored fifty one, but like I feel like that fight shaped the rest of his career, and it's kind of been a little he'll he'll answer combinations so if you start out aggressive he's going to counter you all day long but he's not the one to really push the pace too much he doesn't want to push the pace too much and possibly put himself in a, a bad spot so i will uh award him with with great fight iq but he you know that fight iq borderlines with being a little bit too patient and boring um so yeah if you look at his his dfs scoring he hasn't really been the best so priced at 9100 um, he's a fighter that a lot of people feel safe and have championship aspirations for, but like scored 118 against Ian Kutalaba twice and then 104 against Marcin Practio. And then besides that, like in his other in his other fights, it's just like I don't know, in his other 10 fights, he hasn't broken a, a, a hundred points. So this is a, a weird contrarian call, but I feel like this fight will not be optimal. If you think it's optimal, I think clearly you think that Walker gets KO'd badly, a guy who has a horrible chin. Um, and if you watch his knockout defeats, he, he gets knocked out in weird, weird ways. Um, but I think that his momentum is going to make Ankaliyev respect him a little bit. So I think this is going to go the distance, or if it doesn't go the distance, I think it's going to be it's going to go late, uh, a lot later than people are anticipating. And I, I'm... I'm willing to bet that there's going to be a ton of ownership surrounding this fight, and this might be my way to slightly get different. I think Ankaliyev wins a decision, maybe gets hurt on the feet, you know, resorts to that wrestling to really just keep Johnny Walker on the ground, and hopefully he doesn't lose to something stupid because Johnny Walker beats everybody with silly, silly ways, hammer fists and and just like very sloppy, unorthodox techniques, but it works for him, so I, I'm not hating on him at all. So I'll be taking Ankaliyev to win via decision. Um, but I think his outcome's probably going to be in the ninety, you know, ninety point range. This is where I think me and Pete uh, differ a little bit on this. And I mean, look, it's to me, Ankaliyev. Um, you you got to watch out for those bombs that are going to come early from Johnny Walker. I, I think he's got a massive advantage here in the grappling aspect, where I think he could rack up some points. Um, you know, I think this fight's going to be over within two rounds. That's just me. That's why okay. over on Prize Picks, I like the less than ten minute fight time on Ankalaev. I like the more than ninety three and a half uh, fantasy score. I will say this: over on Prize Picks, I'm not really in love with the, the significant strike props this week. So to me, it's going to be about attacking 
the fight time, the takedowns, and also the fantasy score over there. But Dan Kalive, you know, he gets a win here. He puts himself right there in that conversation of who is going to take on the winner of Alex and Yuri. You know, Jamal Hill, we'll see how he comes back from the injury. He would probably most likely be the guy that gets that shot, but Ankalive is going to be right there. Next up, we got another 90,000 90, fighter, and that's Askarov, 9,500. He's a minus 600 betting favorite. Alves, plus 430, 6,700 on DK. And you know, I just mentioned as we were breaking down the previous fight there, Pete, like, I look at Warley Alves as, you know, he, he's got that potential quick, you know, two, three minute finishing ability but like if he gets past that i just don't think he gets he can get the job done yeah warley alvis is a guy who is very very dangerous and um aggressive striking if you're not a good striker or you're intimidated by pressure he can break you um but if you're able to answer that pressure with your own and kind of push back on him you can break him and uh, you can break him with pace and you can definitely knock him out and finish him or or you can submit him so i think that warley alvis uh, his best days are somewhat done for facing up and comers. I, I think that he can be a gatekeeper for sure, but you know he did get knocked out against Jeremiah Wells, got knocked out against James Krause, largely due to fatigue. Submitted against Randy Brown. Though all those fighters are really good fighters, and guess what? Ikram Aliskarov is a hell of a fighter too. He's priced at ninety five hundred. Um, very very intelligent fighter, good grappler. Solid striker. The strike, the, the striking was on display against Phil Hawes. Landed a beautiful jab cross, and that right cross just planted Phil Hawes, knocked him out cold in two minutes and ten seconds in the first round. Scored 108. 108 probably is not going to do it at 9,500. Um, obviously, I can't project what his score is going to be, but like, I think that he's a safe play. I think that he's a safe play to to, to win the bout this weekend. Um, it's a it's a you know old school. UFC matchmaking of, of take the vet, put him up against the prospect who has history with Hamza Shemaev, and uh, let's see what he can do. And I think Aliskarov's going to pass the test, whether it comes in the first or second round. I think that he finishes Warley Alves, and if for some reason it touches the third, I know that I'm favoring Aliskarov over Warley Alves, who's been somewhat of a of a uh, cardio li- liability at times. So um, I, I think he needs to be careful early, clearly, and, and maybe he wrestles early and early often. Um, but after that, I, I think he can do whatever he wants to Warley Alvis. So at 9,500, I think he's an excellent candidate to make your player pool. Um, and I do like him a lot more than some of these other 9,000 options that I think have capped ceilings that we'll get to. But I'll just say, just right off the bat, I like Aliskarov's ceiling a lot more than Javid Bashra and Anshul Jubilee. Yeah, I'm with you on both that. You look over prize picks. Prize picks think that this fight's going to be over fairly soon. Uh, the yep. significant strike prop is 25 and a half. Fight time minutes five and 118 and a half fantasy score. You know, in terms of that, I mean, it's not really props I really love in terms of this one. I mean, I, I don't really see myself attacking this one on prize picks. I will say this one thing, and, and I did it last week and it didn't work out in my favor because uh, Caleb Williams did it, uh, you know, throw, throw the football around against Notre Dame is, you know, if you like, you know, say two or, or three props in MMA, pairing those up with some college football props or NFL props, you like something on NFL can be uh, really your, an easy path to getting. If you're looking to play those five and six player cards, it's a, a little bit of game theory in terms of playing over there on prize picks. Next up, we got Nurmagomedov Madoff taking on Gafarov. Gafarov, a plus 180 betting underdog, minus 220 for Madoff. He's 800 on DK. Gafarov is 7,400, Pete. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Mullen Gafarov losing to John Castaneda. I don't think Castaneda is bad. I, I think people hate on Castaneda because he was broken at one time. Um, but like Gafarov attempted takedowns and to no avail, just wasn't able to to succeed in any of them. Threw 157 significant strikes, barely landed a third. Um, had you know, a minute and 55 seconds of control time against John Castaneda, who's a solid grappler. Um, but I think that Sayed Nurmagomedov is like the real deal. I, I think that he's so good. And this is a guy whose previous loss to Jonathan Martinez doesn't look that bad. When you see Martinez go out there and just completely dismantle Adrian Yanez, um, a guy that, you know, Yanez, we've, we've been pretty high on, you know, collectively just thinking about his, his boxing skill set. His hands are great. How would he deal with the kicks? Well, not well. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't deal with those kicks well at all. And, uh, you know, to go the distance with Jonathan Martinez, I never thought I'd say this, but the the, um, the the development of Jonathan Martinez and how he's a legitimate force within the bantamweight division is kind of crazy. But Saeed Nurmagomedov had 52 fantasy points in that. Um, it was a close fight. I mean, if he had three of nine takedowns, and he's not known for his takedowns. He's known for his striking. But guess what? In that matchup against Jonathan Martinez, he said, screw this. I am going to look to my takedowns. So he had four minutes and 20 seconds of control time. With all that being said, I think that the the win over Sayyid Yokob uh, Kakramanov is what really sticks out to me because I was pretty big on Sayyid Yokob. I, I think that his wrestling is fantastic. The pace is fantastic. And guess what? Nurmagomedov just did not give up on his submission attempts. So I think that he gets Muin Gafarov out of there. And if he doesn't, I think it's one-way traffic for 15 minutes. So uh Gafarov's just not a guy that I'm 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 about this week. I don't know if you feel the same or or if you differed than me, but Sayyid Nurmagomedov is a solid fighter to win the fight. I just historically he's not the best fantasy guy. I mean, 52, 76, 59. 117 is nice over Cody Stamen. 122 against Mark Striegel is nice. Um, 106 against Ricardo Hamosh, that's perfectly fine. But like 68 over Justin Scoggins, so I don't know. I, I'll probably get to uh, Nurmaga Madoff, but um, I don't. I, I really like some other cheaper fighters that I'm going to get to a little bit more. Yeah, I, I would much rather get to say Nurmaga Madoff in this one. I mean, in terms of, of trying to get to someone, you know, one of these uh, underdogs, Gaffroff is not one of those guys. Over on Prize Picks, uh, I'm not big on any of these props. Nurmaga Madoff, significant strikes, 40 and a half, fight time, 12 and a half, and a 92 and a half fantasy score. And you just kind of mentioned about his fantasy score. So that's something I kind of stick there. Next up, we got Tim Elliott taking on Muhammad Makayev. Makayev, a minus 450 betting favorite, plus 350 for Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott, 6600 on DK. And for Muhammad Makayev, he is 9,600. And this is just one of those fights that I think the price is inflated, Pete. I have no problem with Makayev being the favorite. No problem at all. And, and he may very well go out there and just wreck Tim Elliott. But to me, I, the price point to me is way too high. And that's why, like, when I'm talking about a cash core and finding someone to give me some sour relief, Tim Elliott is my guy this week that I'm going to in cash. Um, I'm not... I'm not against that. I, I think it's okay. Um, I'll tell you what. My career record with Tim Elliott's got to be horrible. I wish I knew. I wish I knew what it was because I constantly just underestimate this guy. I really do. He's so funky and weird. And I think the one performance that completely made me like say I'm not going back to that well was the Brandon Royval fight because like Royval is a guy that I thought is just super dynamic and dangerous and you know, more of a submission threat than anything. And 
you know, Tim Elliott went out there and ragdolled him for a little bit. And then I was, I was on the Tim Elliott side. And then I just saw submission attempt after submission attempt. And eventually when he was put on his back and he was put in a bad situation, I just saw Tim Elliott break. And we, this has always been a guy who's battled personal issues as well. We all have our personal demons and dealing with stuff. But ever since that fight, I mean, he's four and one. And I got to tell you, I think I've, I don't know if I've picked him many times. And he's just been on a, on a tear. 76 against Ryan Benoit, 97 against Jordan Espinoza, 44 against Mateusz Nikolaou, 95 against uh, Tagir Ulanbekov, and most recently 116 against Victor Altamirano. Solid competition, but nothing spectacular. But this is a guy I constantly just kind of gloss over and underrate. Um, so I see on paper why you're you're backing him. I do think stylistically, like he can make things tricky for Makayev, who kind of screws around and plays with his food a little bit. Just talked about how Makayev struggled to really put a stamp on some of these rounds, and it's just you know barely getting by on some of them. And sometimes judges will weigh activity a little bit more. And Tim Elliott's clearly going to be the more active guy. So my worry is that Elliott just, you know, incorporates heavy volume striking, maybe mixes in some takedowns to put stamps on rounds. And then you see Makayev just maybe land one takedown and submit some. Um, but as far as cash core, I'm not against it. I still think that Makayev has some of the best upside on the slate, given what his history is and the scrambling ability and stand-up ability of Tim Elliott to get back to his feet to boost the totals of Muhammad Makayev. I think at 9,600 makes sense. Um, but again, I'm going to I'm gonna pivot a little bit. I'm, I might fly in the mid-range this week where everybody's going, mm-hmm. stars and scrubs. I, I'm just going to try to be a little bit different. Yeah, when I look at our prize picks, I really do like the Makayev more than three takedowns. And it's that scrambling ability of Tim yeah. Elliott to get taken down but then get right back up. Like I, I would say that that might be where I start my prize picks cards at is the more than three takedowns on Makayev. Um, significant strikes, 28 and a half. What scares me about that number is if all these strikes are on the ground and they're not counted as significant strikes, it might be hard to get to that number. Um, and the 90 and a half fantasy score, like if you like Makayev to win this fight, I feel like that's one that you're probably going to be looking at more. But to me, if you're playing a Makayev prop over in prize picks, it's got to be the takedown prop. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I think the takedown prop any any week that he fights needs to be circled, and you need to uh, get exposure to it. Um, you know, I, I I just probably Tim Elliott fights are weird, so I try to just pivot away from his fight <laughs> yeah. a little bit because I I never know what to expect. Yeah, you never know there. Next up, let's move over. We've got Muhammad Yaya taking on Trevor Peak. Peak is the minus 155 betting favorite, plus 130 for Yaya. Yaya is 8,000. Peak is 8,200. And Pete, this is actually, this is like one of my sneaky fights of, of a potential fight of the night here, just because I think these two guys are going to go out there and bang. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Muhammad Yaya guy, but I'll tell you what, I'm definitely not the biggest Trevor Peak guy at all. Um, I've been hating on this guy because I am. I'm a technician in a way, and when I coach and I train my guys and girls, I'm all about fundamentals and technique, and this is a guy, Trevor Peak, who fights like an amateur, but his aggression and his combination skills are great, and what he does is he's able to just put things together and the pressure, and he, he could take a shot too. So, I, I mean, I'm going to give him his flowers. He can take a hell of a shot, um, and he's dangerous. Even in his previous matchup when he got ragdolled against Chepe Mariscal, up until the final minute, he's out there throwing bombs. See, the guy doesn't know how to throw a, 
a jab or, or take his time. Everything's up. Everything's with, you know, you know, bad intentions. So like, I liked what I saw, whereas the, the cardio was always a a question for me. Like what happens when he's completely, you know, overexerted, does he quit? I don't I didn't say that he quit. I think that he was exposed to be a one dimensional fighter. Um, but he got back to his feet really well. He defended eight takedowns, but he didn't get controlled for, for as much as he should have because Chepe Marscal hit him with some gorgeous takedowns. Um, and he kept getting back to his feet and making it a fight. So like 8,200, I really like what I see. Up against future wrestlers, I think Trevor Peak is clearly a bust candidate. Um, but in a matchup against Muhammad Yaya, who I watched in his previous um, fights get taken down and controlled, doesn't look like he has great wrestling. Looks like he can he wants to stand and strike. So this is going to be fireworks. And uh, I've seen Muhammad Yaya take some shots and get dropped with some some wide shots behind the ear. I think that Muhammad Yaya is going to engage in a firefight. Maybe he looks to wrestle. That's how everybody should look to beat Trevor Peak. But mm-hmm. uh, if you wrestle and you have poor control, you're gonna, you know, he's gonna stand back up and he's gonna hit you with his standing hammer fists and his wild rangy hooks. Um, so yeah, I mean, with all that being said, you guys know how I hate brawlers, but I'm gonna pick Trevor Peak in this matchup. I am. I think he finds the chin of Muhammad Yaya, and I think he's gonna knock him out. Yeah, I'm with you there on, on Trevor Peak here. I mean, this is a fight that uh, if you if you look at the betting odds, the, the under one and a half is a little bit juiced here. Um, that's why over on Prize Picks, I do like the less than six and a half fight time minutes uh, for Trevor Peak. That's the one I love the most. Um, the second one, I would say more than eighty five and a half uh, fantasy score, and uh, the third and a half significant strike prop. I just think you're playing with fire there. Um, yeah. You know. You know. But uh, yeah, the, this is Trevor Peak. By the way, uh, for the people who uh, watched the Contender Series last week, Torres Finney's actually. One of his training partners there in Tennessee, so yes. uh, so he's been in the room with a guy. And uh, I mean, look, it's Trevor Peak is one of those guys that I mean, look, is he ever going to be top fifteen? Unlikely, but Very. he, but to me, he's just one of those guys that I can see sticking around the UFC for a very long time because the UFC just goes, you know what? This is a guy we can put on the prelims, and we just got to put him in the right matchup, and the guy just wants to, you know, he as I like to say, Pete, he also, he wants to throw them bungalows. He yeah, he he ain't, he ain't about shoot that double leg. No, no, he's he's there to throw some hands. Yeah, he is, and. You know, sometimes these fighters have a lot more promise and success than you anticipate. I mean, look what Mark Hunt, who is a hell of a K1 kickboxer. So I'm not trying to relate Mark Hunt to Trevor Peak, but in a division where when you are one-dimensional, um, you know, you didn't really think that he was going to have all that success. And Mark Hunt just went on a run. He's, you know, one shot knocking out people and stepping away. And Trevor Peak can, you know, in the specific matchups, he can definitely have, you know, like, Start making some moves up the division, absolutely. And if he's, I, I was happy to dive in to see who he trains with because, like, that's also part, you know, part of the reason why, like, I like Chepe Mariscal, uh, better camp. Uh, but now, like, seeing what Tori Finney is capable of on the Contender Series, it kind of was like, okay, like, that's a good guy to be training with. Mm-hmm. That's a fine, solid guy. You don't need notable names, but I need to like know who the hell you're training with. Like, yeah. it can't just be nobody. So. Uh, yeah, it's Trevor Peak for me. Um, despite the uh, despite the regional success of Muhammad Yaya, I think that Peak is just going to find the chin. 
Uh, one thing I do want to mention before we move on to the next fight, I got a press release earlier this week from my friends over at uh, Rubet.fun. They do some stuff with some UFC fighters, Brand Moreno, Charles Oliveira. They're actually uh, they're launching the Ruse $1 million perfect parlay for UFC 294. If you use your uh, test here, as uh, they're giving fans a, a pick'em game offering uh, an opportunity to win $1 million with Ruse $1 million perfect parlay, a free-to-play pick'em contest for UFC 294 uh, to win this $1 million our perfect parlay prize. They must correctly guess 10 questions about the outcomes of USC 294. Oh. I, I, I logged in, I signed up, I started looking at this, and I'm like, okay, I'm I, I'm going to take a shot at it. I mean, hey, free. I, look, the, uh, let's just be honest about it. The odds of hitting 10 outcomes of UFC 294, like... 10 outcomes, like yes. specific, like decision, knockout, submission. Yes. Shoot. That's hard. It's a lottery ticket right there. <laughs> exactly. Is. Exactly. It's a lottery ticket. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but uh, I know one of the guys over there. So uh, you know, I thought I would mention that out there to our yeah, listeners. Cool. Next up, we got Java Basarat taking on Victor Henry. Uh, Basarat is a minus 600 betting favorite, plus 434 for Victor Henry. Henry, 6,800 on DK and 9,400 on Basarat. Of course, for people who are listening a little bit earlier here on, on the live version of the show, you, you talked about Basarat's one of those guys you're just not in love with. And it's a price point situation. No, yeah, man. What the hell are these odds? Like, I don't, I don't get these odds. Minus six hundred for Javed Bashra. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's awesome. He's amazing. But his three fights in the UFC has been Trevin Jones, super easy opponent, despite the dangerous hands. Tony Gravely, okay, solid fighter. Mateus Mendonca just lost to, uh, just lost to the guy I can't stand, Nate Manis. Um, so like, how do we hold Javed Bashra? Like, to what regard? Like, okay, he's good. B plus, A minus for the division. No problem at all. 65 fantasy points, 82 fantasy points, 98 fantasy points. Priced at 9,400. You're expecting him to be in there against a bum. Guess what? Victor Henry's not a bum at all. At all. Okay? He's the guy that spoiled the fight against Howney Barcelos. Stepped up. Outstruck him. Threw 352 significant strikes. Landed 181. Defended six takedowns. So in his in his next fight, I was picking him against Rafael Asuncao, and guess what? He laid an egg. 126 significant strikes, 55 landed, zero one takedowns, and only three takedowns defended. Not really sure what Victor Henry showed up that night, but then he just most recently has a victory over Tony Gravely, who has been up and down in the UFC. Very well-rounded fighter, solid striking, better wrestling than anything. Um. Threw 244 significant strikes, landed 154, defended 14 takedowns. I think, for the most part, this is going to be an interesting back-and-forth affair on the feet with Bashra and Victor Henry trading calf kicks. Um, <laughs> my daughter's still just having a good old time. Uh, Bashra is very well-rounded. He's going to mix in takedowns and control time, and I think his submission skills are some of the most underappreciated assets of his game. Two or four takedowns against Tony Gravely. Three of five against Mateus Mendonca. He could defend takedowns too if you're trying to take him down. 11 takedowns defended, nine takedowns defended. This seems like a really close fight. And if it's not, I still don't justify the minus 600 price tag. So naturally, what's that going to do is going to make Victor Henry, in my opinion, be one of the best values on the slate. He can win a, he can win a decision. Basharat, despite his regional finishing success, he hasn't been able to find a finish over Trevin Jones, 
Tony Gravely or Mateos Mendonca. I don't see him finishing Victor Henry. So where's the upside here? I think it's a 15-minute decision that could possibly swing one way or another. I'm still picking Javid Bashrat to win the fight, but I'm just telling you that me personally, I'd much rather have Victor Henry than Tim Elliott, and perhaps that's right. a hot take. But that's kind of how I'm feeling. And then that very well could be a great ownership play in terms of leverage uh, of probably Tim Elliott going to be more popular as a pump player over, over on prize picks. Bass Rutt, 75 and a half significant strikes, two and a half uh, takedowns, a 100 and a seven and a half. Uh, that, that takedown prop is probably the one that sticks out to me the most, but uh, it's not one of the props over on prize picks. As I, yeah. I look at my spreadsheet, I, I, I don't know if you're like me, I color code my spreadsheet. You know, so on Saturday, so I've kind of, kind of figured everything going out there. Uh, this is not a fight that I have color coded a little bit. I will say the next one is a, a little bit of a color code when it comes to prize picks. And that's Abu Azatar taking on Cedric's Dumas. Dumas is at minus 225 betting favorite, plus 185 for uh, Azatar. Azatar, 7,800 on DK, 8,400 for Dumas. And Pete, this is one of those fights like you, you talk, I mean, color coding fights. Like to me, if I'm color coding GPP fights, I think this is a GPP fight. Yeah, it's a GPP fight because I don't trust either one of these fighters. I mean, Cedricus Dumas is a guy on the on the contender series who looks dangerous. I mean, he, he's tall. He's a long rangy guy for the middleweight division. Um, on the outside, he's gonna he's gonna you know frustrate a lot of opponents with his broomstick straight punches. Like he he'll hit you from a mile away. Uh, he can throw good kicks. I think that he has sneaky uh, head and arm finishes. So like he has a he has a good front headlock series very good guillotines um and i i do think like you know him losing to josh fremd how he did it was a nice lesson josh fremd's very very talented um but rebounding against cody brundage a guy who pulls guillotine 24 7 um you know it was good it was good to see some development uh he was able to reverse out of some positions maintain uh, top control went the distance had 11 minutes of control time by just you know, getting out of guillotines and then just kind of playing the top game against a, a solid wrestler in Cody Brundage. So, like, Abu Azatar is a guy I'm just not sold on. He, I'll tell you my beef with him. He keeps his head down and he throws everything loopy and blind. He throws everything without seeing his opponent, doesn't keep his, his you know, his vision on the chest of his opponent. He's staring at the floor. He's closing his eyes. He's bobbing his head. He has a lot of tendencies. I'm telling you right now. Cedricus Dumas, if I'm his coach, I'm throwing a knee or a left head kick because I see in footage he dips his head constantly, throws, throws, dips, throws, throws, dips. He's going to walk into either a head kick or a knee, and I think Cedricus Dumas, whether he finishes him with that or not, I think he's going to really give problems to Abu Azatar, who's just a brawler. Um, and I, I don't think that Abu's like some amazing grappler. He's one of one in the takedown department um, against Vitor Miranda. Uh, and then previously against Marc-Andre Berrio, went to zero up three in the takedown department, threw a hell of a lot, and gassed himself out against uh, against Marc-Andre Berrio. 219 landed 108. So, like, scored 53. Yeah, because he pushed the pace and broke himself. But I think Cedricus Dumas is going to break him inside of one round. And uh, in the mid-range, I absolutely love it. Despite my untrustworthiness attached to Cedricus Dumas, I think this is a very good stylistic fight for him. 
Yeah, I mean, look, this is one of those, like, I, I can see myself in a decent amount of GPP lineups uh, pairing up to Moss and Trevor Peak together, you, yep. you know, in that mid-range of the 8,000 there. And, uh, you know, I mentioned about color coding over on Price Picks, and one I have color coded on this one is the eight-and-a-half fight time minutes. I like the under there. I think I'm like I'm with you. To me, if Azatar is going to go out there and get the win, I think he gets it within three minutes. And if he doesn't get within three minutes, that's where I think Dumas takes over. Uh, the uh, significant strike prop on Dumas, 33-and-a-half. Fantasy score, 88-and-a-half. Um, you know, I would rank that as fight time would be my number one play over here. Number two would be that fantasy score, Dumas, more than 88-and-a-half. Um, the 33-and-a-half, like – if you're going to play anything, it would it would be going the under there in terms of that one. Next up, we got Mike Breeden taking on Jubilee. Jubilee is a three to one betting fair here, plus two forty for Breeden, ninety three hundred for a Jubilee on DK, sixty nine hundred for Mike Breeden. And you know what? As I was hand building some lineups this morning, oh. Oh. I was lo- I was Tell looking me. I was looking at Mike Breeden. I was like I was sitting there going, like, I'm I'm looking at. You know, you know, when well, I'm hand building these lines, I'm thinking, okay, who is that low end guy? And, and like, I was looking at Breeden. I'm looking at Tim Elliott. Uh, you know, you made a great point of talking about Victor Henry, but like, I don't know, man. Like, Breeden has, you know, he hasn't treated me well in DFS since he's coming yeah. to the UFC. But like, it's just one of these fights. I keep he, his name keeps popping off the screen at me. Are right, you ready? So I said that from a punt standpoint, I like Victor Henry. Um, better than I like Tim Elliott. Um, and I think the masses will flock to Tim Elliott because of the pace and the the flyweight division. Um, but as far as like actual fights and odds, I couldn't agree less with this with these odds. I mean, three and a half to one, Ancho Jubilee, ninety three hundred over Mike Breeden. Why? Because he, you know, beat Jekka Saragi? Okay. Like he's a Solid striker. He throws good straight punches. Um, it was his wrestling that won him that fight against Jack Asaragi, where he, you know, finished him in the second round. No problem at all. Seven minutes of control time. He looked damn good. He looked damn good. But I'll tell you what, I'm not sold. And I believe that Mike Breeden to this point has not shown us his full potential. Mm-hmm. And I just don't. I don't rate a quick loss to Terrence McKinney that bad. I just don't. I mean, look at Matt Frivola. If I, if I thought that everybody who lost to Terrence McKinney was a bum, then I wouldn't think anything of Matt Frivola, and I wouldn't have picked him against Drew Dober. Um, but, like, I think Mike Breeden, it takes him a little time to get into the fight, and that was evidenced in the Natan Levy fight where Natan's very dangerous, and Natan will incorporate takedowns, but it's his kicks that make him so dangerous. Um, when he starts to, when he doesn't finish you, he goes to his wrestling a lot. And I think something that's underappreciated about Mike Breeden is his grappling. He's a, he's a solid BJJ Brown belt, uh, you know, defended seven takedowns against Natan Levy scored three of four of his own. And it's his boxing. His boxing is what really will win him fights through 210 significant strikes landed 104 in a loss to Natan Levy scored 62. Yeah, he debuted on short notice and got knocked out against Alexander Hernandez. Hernandez did that to Benil Dariush when he broke onto the scene. So, again, you can't play MMA math. But what I will say is that against international talent, there tends to be tends to be a wrestling advantage or grappling advantage um, for the guys that are stateside. And I do think that Mike Breeden is in a spot where 
Maybe he doesn't offensively wrestle, but maybe he defensively wrestles and then is allowed to, you know, let his hands free and let him go. So I, I like him here. I, I'm picking Mike Breeden to pull off the upset against Anshul Jubilee, who's priced at a three and a half to one favorite. I just don't get it. I don't think that Jekka Saragi is on the same level of Mike Breeden. And I know that Mike Breeden's 0-3 in the UFC. So I'm okay with looking silly. But when you take an, an aggressive approach on a 6,000 fighter and then you hit on them, the rest of your lineup, you know, if if you allocate your ownerships correctly, uh, I think in your exposures, I think that you're going to be set up pretty well. So even if it's in a loss, let's say Mike Breeden loses a 15-minute decision. He's already shown once that he has good volume, good volume in a loss, 62 to Natan Levy. That's that's better than some people's wins half the time. Uh, so I'll, I'll be picking uh, I'll be picking Mike Breeden to pull off the upset here straight up. Uh, I'm picking him to beat uh, Anshul Jubilee. I always feel much better when I have these, you know, general, you know, gut feelings. Yeah. And my guy Pete comes in here, I'm like, okay, all right. I guess at least I'm not on an island here. No, but and, like, and I'm not going 150 max, and I'm going to just like, you know, if you are 150 max, and then those three 6,000 fighters we talked about need to pri- be prioritized. They need to be. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll say here is, and like you mentioned, what, what Breen's UFC record is, and we saw, you know, look, every Tuesday the UFC has that matchmaker meeting. This one, this is when fires start getting released. And, uh, you know, there's, I, I want to say it's 11 fires were released. Uh, Jennifer Maya, her, she fought out her contract, so she's electing uh, to test free agency. I don't know where she thinks she's going to get big money from. I think she's probably just stuck with whatever the UFC wants to offer. Yeah. Um, you know, Bellator is gone. Yeah. Ain't signing her. So. Yeah. I, that would have been the only thing is that, I, you know, a Bellator signing, but yeah, who knows I, what the hell's going on with that. Look, it's as I was having the a conversation from a podcast yesterday, I was like, you know, th- this whole Bellator PFL acquisition, which we all, I mean, I do expect it to, to ultimately come together is while as a combat sports fan, I think it's going to be great because we're going to get some matchups that we couldn't get before. But I, I think from a fighter's aspect, I don't think it's great that uh, no. you're you're essentially going to have only two places to go to. And, um, you know, there's there's going as I was talking to a manager last week, and, and they agree with me that there's a, a lot of fighters on that Bellator roster that we're going to start seeing back on the regional scene because there's just there's there's not enough fights out there for them. You know I mean? It's, yeah, I mean, like... It sucks. That's when, like, a, you know, like one, if one ever came over stateside, which obviously that's like asking something crazy, I think that they have the potential to become possibly the number two. Um, but it, you know what I mean? Like, it, it really sucks. It really sucks that, that there's nowhere to go. And these regional MMA, it's like we went back 20 years where there's no money. You know what I mean? By the way, people follow my guy Pete on, on social media. You, you saw a little post oh. this week. Oh, you sure did. You sure did. Guess what? Your boy is back in the cage. January 6th. Is that the right date? I think it is. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is. yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I cannot be there uh, because, oh. because the Bucks have a game the next day. So uh, I, can, you, I cannot be there that day. But uh, you, you know I'll, you, you know, when you send me that, I'll be like, hey, Pete, what's that code? Do you get credit for that internet cell? You know, you, you know I'm, I'm, hop, I'm hopping on that train. You know, can't be there in spirit, but I can be there in front of a computer monitor. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what, though. It, it's really cool to be back in there. Um, been training for it you know, for a long time and, uh, tired of waiting, tired of waiting and, you know, waiting for Bellator to come back in my hometown. Who knows if that'll ever happen. Um, 
but also just got to get back under the lights and start, you know, getting back to doing what I'm supposed to do. So stay tuned and uh, hopefully we'll have a match very soon. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited. And, and, and look, I'm just saying for our listeners out there that may want to come to Connecticut to watch Pete, you wait, wait till Pete tells you what that code is. So uh, Pete gets that credit yeah, for please. selling that ticket. Please. Yeah, please, please. Don't, don't go buying tickets right now. Relax. Uh, and uh, hook your boy up because this is regional MMA. You know what I mean? This is not Bellator. That, so. that, that is the the business of regional MMA. Of, yeah. uh, that, that's why I always say uh, support your local fighters by buying tickets through mm-hmm. them because that uh, is ultimately what uh, benefits them because uh, I, there are some fighters locally that I know um, they know how to push tickets, and let's just say they get a good commission rate. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, uh, you know, it's always, it's always like gut wrenching when like somebody's so excited to tell you that they're coming to your fight. I'm like, yeah, you bought tickets for me. Oh no, we get them free. We get this and that. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, upset them, but at the same time, I'm like, damn, that's how I make money, you know? And that's how I feed my family, but I'm happy you're coming. So like, I don't know how to react. You know what I mean? So yeah, I got yeah. t-shirts, you know? <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, I'll be sitting there on computer monitor going, come on, Pete. Why are you shooting right. for a takedown? Come on. Yeah. Pete will just lie me with his take that, what his game plan is and do that exact opposite. We've, we've, we've seen, we've been there, done it. <laughs> uh, let's move over to our next matchup. We got a thing, you Wood, who is a minus 340 betting favorite, 9,000 on DK, taking on Muhammad Namayev, Namayev plus 270. He is 7,200 over there. And of course, you know, we've seen the thing, Wood, since moving up to 45, where he wasn't just cutting so much of a massive weight. You know, and, and I remember when he made that move, I think, I, I forget who the first fight was was against at 145, but I remember it's like, is he going to be big enough? And well, he he's shown he is. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though, I've been one of the biggest Nathaniel Wood fans and some bias attached to it because I, I know Nathaniel Wood's striking coach. Um, so we've been friendly through social media for years and years and years. I'm talking like seven years. Um, I think that Nathaniel Wood has some of the sneakiest upside, a part of that 9,000 you know, scene. If you look, he's on five fights in a row where it's gone the distance, but that doesn't mean he can't score well. He scored 108 which is fine, but that's but listen to who he's fought. Charles Jordan, Andre Feely, Charles Rosa, John Castaneda, Casey Kenny. Now you're giving him Muhammad Naimov. Uh, I think that Muhammad Naimov is fine, but I think that Muhammad Naimov, you know, he is what he is. He's okay defensively. Will panic shoot. Um, will gas as a fight goes on. Has good power. And Jamie Malarkey has really – dropped down a lot on my personal rankings and also just because of his fight IQ. Like, he needs to wrestle more. I know he likes to strike, but, like, he's been knocked out and hurt countless times. And he was winning that fight. So for Muhammad Naimov to just kind of land the shot and knock him out, you know, it's a good win. 91, he was priced at 6,500, broke the slate. Uh, I think that Nathaniel Wood has some of the sneakiest upside. And I am going to get a lot of exposure to him because I feel like everybody likes Makayev, Aliskarov, Dudakova, Ankalaev, and maybe even Jubilee more than him. So he could be lost in the shuffle. So and and you have Hamza Shamayev at eighty nine hundred. I just like Nathaniel Wood to outbox him. We've seen Nathaniel Wood take and absorb big damaging strikes in the past and get dropped. So I don't like you know his striking defense at times, but I like his activity 
And I like his well-rounded skill sets to completely dismantle and confuse Muhammad Naimov. So hopefully he avoids that power. But I, I'm going Nathaniel Wood, 9,000. That to me is also, you, you talk about you know comparing Wood to Chemayev. And that yeah. to me becomes as what, what's the difference in ownership between those two guys? You know, could we potentially get leverage by going with someone fighting very early on the card where, yeah. you know, if you're in these bigger GPP contests where you have people that are just looking at those main event, co-main event, maybe find a little bit of leverage. Uh, in terms of that overall prize picks, um, 87 and a half significant strikes prop for Wood, 105 and a half uh, in terms of fantasy score. Not really either one of my favorites this week. Um, you know, I, I feel like if you're playing the Wood, the significant strike, 87 and a half, I think you sweat it out regardless. I don't care which side of the yeah. way you play on it. You're probably going to sweat it out just because of the volume that you have, dudes have there. You mentioned about Dudikova. She's a minus 550 betting favorites taking on Frey, who's a 4-2-1 betting underdog. Frey, 7,000. Dudikova is 9,200. And, um, man, this this is one of those ones that I looked at the betting lines and the DFS salaries, Pete, and I was like, God damn. Ugh. I like her, though. I, I, I'll tell you what. I do like Dudikova a lot. Um I think it's clearly UFC old school matchmaking of Dudakova is the young fighter, the prospect against the vet who's lost a step and lost a significant step. Jinyu Frey is two and five in the UFC, arguably could have had some decisions go her way, but like the killer instinct is just non-existent. I, I just don't see her going out there and trying to hunt a finish. She just doesn't do it. She doesn't hunt submissions like. You know, you would think, you know, having her husband or boyfriend, I think it's her husband, uh, be a, a big part of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. You would think that she would go out there and hunt submission finishes because she's so eager to, you know, engage in the grappling. And we've seen, like, she'll go three of seven in the takedowns, two of three. I don't know, man. I'm out on Jin Frey. I've been betting on her as an underdog for several times, and I just can't do it no more. Um, even as a favorite, she just didn't do well against Vanessa Demopoulos. So I am going to say that Dudakova clearly will win two rounds. The issue I have with Dudakova is the sacrificial throws and the low fight IQ and low percentage techniques that she will hunt, often putting herself in bad spots. She throws great Hadagoshis. She throws great trips. Um, she will even upper body wrestle pretty well. The issue is when I see her engage and she almost like pulls guard sometimes or she'll pull guard and then try to sweep immediately. I don't think that's going to fly against Jin Frey, but I think that Victoria Dudakova picks up a clear decision win here against Jin Frey and just as the more active fighter and the fighter who wants it more. I just don't see, I don't see Jin Frey in there looking like the same Jin Frey that was, you know, doing well on the regional scene. It, yeah. it just has not been a good UFC run for Jin Frey And Victoria Dudakova, I think, is a very, very solid um, play this week. I just think it's going to come in the decision, uh, you know, via decision, multiple takedowns, poor fight IQ, slightly sweating it out because she just makes things a little bit more difficult than it needs to be. 
Yeah, I think over in prize picks is just more of you know her, her takedown prop for Dukova is two and a half. I uh, would much rather play the more than the less than because I think you would much be, you you'd be sweating that out went out over there. Um, and, and like yeah, what you said there. I mean, I think the the best days we saw of Jingyu Frey were more on, on the, before she got to the UFC as opposed to what we see in here in the UFC. Then our opening matchup, you got Magomedov taking on Silva. Silva in a very similar situation. He's been in this situation throughout his entire career, taking on another tough Russian. It's a guy that's taking on yeah. every tough Russian there is. Uh, Silva is a plus two hundred five betting fair. Mice 250 for Magomedov. Magomedov, 8,600 DK. Silva is 7,600. And, uh, you know, part of the story with Magomedov is the eye issue. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, knee-jerk reaction. I'm sitting there thinking, well, who the hell is this guy to come in to the UFC in his debut and is going to be a favorite over Bruno Silva, the guy that went 15 minutes against Michelle Pejia? Uh, You know, Alex Pejia, my bad, not Michelle Pejia. But, you know, who is this guy? And I, I researched, I'm like, oh, okay, this, I remember this guy. He's Shara Bullet Magomedov, the guy who has basically no vision in his right eye. Um, and somehow he's passing medicals. I don't understand. But uh, as far as kickboxing and striking is concerned, he's one of the most dangerous prospects we've seen in the sport. Um, you know, he, he's very violent. I think this guy has true issues, like outside the cage too, like, Bad, bad anger, lashing out on people, just seems like a complete lunatic. We'll punch people at a grappling tournament. We'll stomp and kick them. This guy is just a guy. He seems like he's like, you know, how people would act when they're like, you know, having roid rage, except he's just pure anger all the time. So uh, I don't know, man. All I'm saying is that Shara Magomedov against Bruno Silva is a fight that we're probably going to need. It's a, It's the first fight of the night, oddly mm-hmm. enough. And I don't know how I'm going to avoid it because Bruno Silva will strike fine in boxing range, does not do well against kickers. And that's what Shower Magomedov is. He's a kicker before he's a puncher. And he kicks often, kicks hard, kicks early, kicks often, blends his hands into his kicks. And we've seen Bruno Silva get out kickboxed against Gerald Mearshart and, you know, got rocked and dropped and then submitted despite going 15 minutes against Alex Bahia. That's why MMA math, you just can't do it. It makes no sense. Um, but yeah, like Bruno Silva clearly needs to blend takedowns in. And if he blends takedowns in, we've seen Shar Magomedov struggle with, you know, defending takedowns. So I think uh, crowd the kicker, mix your takedowns in is clearly the game plan for Bruno Silva to spoil the debut of Shar Magomedov. I'm going to lean, though, in the Shara Bullet Magomedov's side because I just can't see how you can get out kickbox against Gerald Mearshart, take so much damage within your career, struggle consistently against kickers, and now face a guy who has some of the best kicks and most dynamic kicks against Shara Magomedov. So I'll be picking Shara in the middle range at 8,600 to uh, to finish Bruno Silva. But if this hits the mat, Magomedov does not have much. You know, despite that, you know, last name, he does not have much on the mat. So uh, I'm fine with increasing exposure to Bruno Silva. I think he's one of the best underdogs against uh, an unproven UFC fighter. Very proven outside the promotion, but uh, I think one way or another, you're going to need to smash this fight. 
That's always a scary thing for me when you have someone that, you know, has, you know, regionally speaking, has got a lobby of people's attention of what happens when he comes to the UFC. And it's one of those things that sometimes I'm almost like, let me see kind of how it goes before I kind of really d- take a deep yep. dive into it. So let's get into our straight up fight picks here. Uh, main event, uh, I'm going to go and still Islam Hachev. Unfortunately, I agree with you. I'm going to go with uh, Islam Hachev as well. I will go Chemaev in the co-main event. Chemaev. Uh, I'll go Ankalaev. Ankalaev. Uh, I'll go Askarov. Uh, yep, I'm going to go Ikram Aliskarov as well. Uh, Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov. Even though I like Ellie as a cash play, I still think Makaev gets it done with the uh, the grappling. Yeah, I'm going to go Makaev. I'll go Trevor Peak. Going Trevor Peak, but I'm I'm disappointed in myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh I'll go Basarat. Asherat, but kind of how you said, I think Victor Henry's one of the best cash options out there. Uh Dumas. Dumas. Give me Mike Breeden. Breeden for the upset, baby. Uh Wood. Nathaniel Wood. Dudakova. Dudakova. And Magomedov. Magomedov as well. Not too uh, different. Tur- yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, look, I, I I wanted to get to more straight up underdogs to win, but you know, it's just uh, kind of more go betting with my with my brain here uh, on terms yeah. of my picks here. Over on Prize Picks, here's what I'll tell you what I like. Um, I do like the more than twenty two and a half fight time minutes on uh, Islam. I also like the three takedowns. Prefer the three takedown prop over there. Um, I do like the more than ninety eight and a half fantasy score on, on um, Hamzat Shamayev. A gut feeling thinks that thing goes 15 minutes, so I probably would go, go more than the uh, 10 minute fight time. Uh, I like the under 10 minute fight time on Ankaliyev, the more than 93 and a half fantasy score on Ankaliyev, uh, more than three takedowns on Mukayev, less than six and a half fight time minutes on Peak, uh, less than eight and a half fight time minutes on Dumas. Uh, I do like the more than one and a half takedowns on Jubilee. So that's why I like over there. On Price Picks, uh, we'll get over to our Discord questions before we get into the YouTube chat. As I know some of our uh, people over there on Discord have already put in some questions here. So uh, let's get to the first one. Um, it says, if you had to bet on one underdog main event and co-main event, who would you and Pete pick? I would. If I had to bet on one in the main or co-main? I would prefer to go Volkanovsky. Yeah, agree. Um. You know, I mean, I, I, to me, to me, the question really is, is, I mean, look, it's, you've got, you know, Usman moving up in weight mm-hmm. at, at the, the back tail of his career, 36 years it's old 15 pounds, not 10 pounds. That's 15 pounds. The gap between welterweight and middleweight is huge. Yeah. I mean, I just, to me, I would much rather go the, the Volkanovsky route, even though um, I do like both the, the favorites in the main event and co-main event. Uh, next up says, I'm looking at a core of Chamaya, Makayev, Peak, and Magomedov. With Volk and Azatar as key underdogs, what's your thoughts on this? Um, I, I just what concerns me is not it's not on the back end of what you said there with uh, Peak and Magomedov. It's it's more on the Chamaya Makayev aspect of what if those go fifteen minutes? Um, and you know, look here. Sounds I, like a very common player chalky build. Not to hate on the lineup. But I feel like that's going to be duplicated a lot. I, I I feel like if you're in these massive GPP contests or, you know, like getting away from Volk, 
I think is probably a smart contrarian thing to do just because I think mm. Volk's going to be very highly owned in these GPPs of uh, people looking uh, in there. Um, next up, if you, said, if, you had to, if you had to play lock one guy in all of your lineups, who would it be and why? Who are you going to lock? One guy. Who would I lock? Mm, that's a damn good question. I think it's got to be Islam Mahachev, despite my love for Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, I mean, Five like... round fighter, priced mid-range. His opponent's stepping up on short notice. His opponent's been suffering and de- dealing with an arm injury. You know, not ideal circumstances for Volkanovsky at all. You, maybe everybody's thinking that Volk's going to do it better this time. Perhaps he does it worse. Um, yeah. That's... It, it, if... You know, the way that I have to answer that question, that's my answer. But I wouldn't block anybody. There's so many damn options this week. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, look, I look at someone like Dumas and Peak just because of their fantasy score upside, but also I understand I'm playing with fire. Yeah, you know? really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, best punt. I, I mean, I think we've labeled out the three options here of Victor Henry, Mike Breeden, and Tim Elliott. Um, you know, Mike Breeden probably, I think, has the best chance to win. If you're looking for winners, um, all you know, I I would probably rank it Breeden, Elliot, Henry. Yeah, and I'm different. I'm going Breeden, Henry, Elliot. Yeah, um, but I I don't I don't think that you can go wrong with either one because perhaps the Elliot Henry scores. They say they both lose, but they may not be that much different. And you have Elliot who's two hundred dollars cheaper than Victor Henry. Which that yeah. two hundred can mean everything on a slate like this. Uh, next up, uh, best leverage play. We got to see what ownership ends up. I've not seen ownership projections yeah, yet know. on this one. That that's going to really play into it. Um, Tristan, what I'll do is once ownership projections comes out, I'll put I'll I'll answer it in in Discord. Uh, best takedown upside. Now this is an interesting one because I think there's some good options here. I mean, obviously you look at the main event of Machev. I think Ankalaev is another one. Makayev to me would be uh, another one. Um, you know, I would, I'd probably still say just because of the 25 minute nature, I, I, I look at Islam. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's Islam for me. I still is Chamayev. I mean, did you see him pick up Daniel Cormier with a body lock? I mean, my God, I know that, uh, Jang Wei Lee picked up Francis and with a high crotch, but the high crotch lift is a lot easier than a body lock and picking up DC with a body lock was very impressive for Chamayev. So um, maybe he out wrestles Usman, um, but it's Ankalaev also. Ikram Aliskarov's a guy who can do it all, and he's a hell of a wrestler too. And that's a way to break Warley Alves. Okay, and that our asked question was ranking nine K options, and he we have six nine K options, and he was the guy. I was like, maybe he is that number one option in the nine K range at ninety five hundred. Yeah, he is to me. He is yeah, to me. I'm, 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 I'm saying one, Aliskarov. Okay. Two, Makayev. Okay. Now we get weird. Basharat's last. Who's second to last? Dude, I think you can make an argument for all. Yeah, it's that's hard. That That's hard. But I definitely think that it's Aliskarov over Makayev. Just from a finishing standpoint, 
Correction, um, we have we have seven fighters who are 9,000. I, I labeled uh, Duda Cobra wrong. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, sh- I, mean I, I would probably... I might say seven due to COVID just because I think the thing goes um, to, uh, 15 minutes. Um, You're a wrestler, though, Jay. I, I'd probably say a list across one, two. I think I two. I'm looking at Makayev and Ankalaev, and I'm looking at the grappling aspect, and I'm thinking yeah. fantasy score upside. If Makayev goes out and does what he does in terms of grappling, he could just rake up a ton of points. So I'd probably put him to... Three, I would say Ankalaev. Yep. Four. Four through seven could be anywhere. I mean, I agree with you. you know, I mean, if I was going to go, f- I mean, I'd probably put Nathaniel Wood there. I would probably put seven, yeah, Wood four, and then five, six, seven. All shit. <laughs> All right. I mean, like, Jubilee. I'd probably put Duke over last, then Jubilee, and then Basharat. Basharat's the worst one. He's 9,400. Uh, I mean, yeah. unless I'm going to be completely so off on this fight, but he's 9,400. Yeah. He's only scored 98 fantasy points. I know. It's it, it's nuts out there. I mean, it is. But, and that's where you really got to use those ownership projections to figure out there uh, what you got to do. Uh, get to the YouTube uh, comments here before we get out of here on this episode. Elliot is my favorite dog for GPPs. Um, I, I mean, I I don't mind that. I don't mind that. But to me, it really comes down to the the question of um, and that's an ownership play. I think and, and yeah. the type of contest. Uh, that you're playing in there uh, to, to, to see if there's any more. Um, but yeah, uh, but we do appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, if you can do us a favor, watch us on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. That truly does help us out a ton. If you want to leave a comment about something you heard on the show, be sure to do that as well. Pete, anything you want to leave the listeners with before we get out of here? No, I mean, thank you guys for checking out the video, whether you guys are subscribed or not. If you could though, subscribe to the channel, join the discord, the links below in the description. Um, great conversations going on throughout the week, the weekend, all all year round. I mean, this Discord is awesome, and sometimes I work so much and I go back and I check, and I, I get lost. Hey, hey, you want to know how how awesome they are? You remember you were wondering about what your Tim Elliott record is? Did they keep track of it? Matt has the record. He says you are, that Pete is two and two in Elliott's last four, while I am three and one. Yeah, I told you, I I felt like I was zero and four, so. You know, that's okay. But that's awesome. That means you guys care about what we say, and we care about you guys. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, the Discord, great community, totally free to join. Uh, you know, yeah. you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about uh, we're not selling your picks or anything like that. Uh, you go right there. Totally free to join. Great conversation we have in there. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. We'll be back here next week to get you ready for UFC Fight Night. <laughs> You always crack me up because you know damn well I don't know. Uh, okay, I, like, I, I can t- I can t- I can tell you. Yeah. Uh, What's the main event, bro? Tell me who is it? Is it? I'm, I'm pulling up. The, I'm pulling up the MMA schedule right here. I know Joe's Miocic is December 11th. Um, let's see here. Can't wait to hear this one. Uh, oh, before. we don't we don't have a UFC event next week. There we go. Our next UFC event is UFC Fight Night down in Sao Paulo, Brazil 
Almeida versus Lewis. So we do have no we don't we're about next Friday. Oh, uh, what's his name? Jailton Almeida. What a terrible fight for Derek Lewis. My yeah, goodness. Yeah, because you remember it was supposed to be Curtis Blaze. Blaze gets injured. Derek Lewis uh, now stepping in on that one. Um, but, yeah, pretty much oh, uh, a, for, for the most part, this is a Brazilian fight night card. No question about it. So, uh, But Great. we'll be back here uh, in two weeks. Of course, uh, we'll be in that score channel all weekend long, so be sure to check us out over there. And we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. <laughs>